Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2013, titled Revival and Reformation. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 6 for August 3 to 9, Confession and Repentance, the Conditions of Revival. Sabbath afternoon, August 3. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you knowing that you are the God of the universe, the Creator, the one who provides salvation. And we come confessing that that we are in need of your leadership, your care and your guidance. And as we open your word this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit may open to us the important things that we need to understand, but also to open to us a greater understanding of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's Sabbath afternoon. Our memory text is Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Let's read that again. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Throughout Scripture, both repentance and confession have prepared the way for spiritual revival. God has always prepared his people to do a great work for him by leading them to godly sorrow for their sins. Once we acknowledge our sins and confess them, we are on track to have victory over them. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9 Repentance and confession are two prerequisites needed in order for us to receive the Spirit's power in abundance. In this week's lesson, we will trace the importance of true repentance in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as it is revealed in the book of Acts. We will also contrast true repentance with false repentance. Most of all, we will discover that repentance is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives in order to help us to reflect Jesus' love to those around us. Sunday, August 4. Repentance, God's Gift During the weeks before Pentecost, the disciples earnestly sought God in prayer. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says that they were in one accord in prayer and supplication. This experience of one accord reveals a strong unity and harmony among Christ's followers that would not have been possible without repentance and confession. Prayer and confession prepared them for what was going to come. Question. Read Acts chapter 5 verses 30 to 32. What important points can we take from what Peter said here? The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and saviour, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Peter makes two critical points. First, repentance is a gift. 
As we open our hearts to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, Jesus gives us the gift of repentance. Second, the disciples themselves were witnesses in their own lives of the reality of repentance. They not only preached repentance, they experienced it. Ellen White writes in the Acts of the Apostles, page 36, As the disciples waited for the fulfilment of the promise, they humbled their hearts in true repentance and confessed their unbelief. As they called to remembrance the words that Christ had spoken to them before his death, they understood more fully their meaning. As they meditated upon his pure, holy life, they felt that no toil would be too hard, no sacrifice too great, if only they could bear witness in their lives to the loveliness of Christ's character. Repentance and confession are common themes throughout Acts. Let's check some of these in Acts chapter 17 and verses 30 and 31. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And in Acts chapter 26, in verses 19 and 20, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that brings us to the realization of our need for a sin-pardoning Saviour. At the same time, we must remember that the Holy Spirit does not fill unrepentant hearts. Let's check this with Romans chapter 2, verse 8. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. And Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 and 39. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And chapter 3 and verse 19. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The Holy Spirit fills hearts emptied of selfish ambition, of the desire for personal recognition and of the drive for personal glory. So to finish the day. Why is it so difficult to acknowledge our sins and repent of them? Why is it so easy to let self get in the way of true repentance? Monday, August 5. True Repentance Defined Question. How does the Apostle Paul describe true repentance in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 to 11? 
Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorrow in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Repentance is a God-initiated sorrow for sin. It also includes a decision to forsake whatever specific sins that the Holy Spirit brings to mind. We can read about this in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 6. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from all your abominations. And Zechariah also talks about it in chapter 1 and verse 4. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. Genuine repentance does not lead Christians into a state of deep depression because of their sinful natures or deeds. As it says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. It leads us instead to focus on Jesus' righteousness, not our sinfulness. It produces a diligence in looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's look at Second Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 11. And that reads, but for observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced to you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and was sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Throughout the New Testament, we see that the enormity of our sin is never greater than the enormity of his grace. For, as it says in Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. This was certainly true in the Apostle Paul's experience. Question. Read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 14 to 17, and Acts 26, 10 to 16. What do these passages tell you about Paul's sinfulness and Jesus' righteousness? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering, as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honour and glory for ever and ever. 
Amen. And Acts chapter 26, verses 10 to 16. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. While this occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me, and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen, and of the things which I will reveal to you. When the Apostle Paul realized that he was persecuting the Lord of glory, he was driven to his knees in genuine repentance and confession. Throughout his entire life, he never tired of telling the story of his own sinfulness and God's grace. His repentance did not leave him in a state of depression. Instead, it drove him into the arms of an all-loving and forgiving Saviour. The confession of his sin did not leave him feeling guiltier than before. His focus was not on how unrighteous he was, but on how righteous Jesus was. So, to finish today, have you ever felt that you were the chief of sinners, or, if not the chief, still too sinful to be saved? How can you learn to rest in the assurance that Christ's righteousness is enough to save you? Tuesday, August 6, True Repentance and Confession Question. What spiritual principles do we learn from Leviticus chapter 5, 1 John 1, 9, Isaiah chapter 1 and Acts chapter 26 regarding the nature of true repentance and confession? First of all, we'll look at Leviticus chapter 5, verse 5. And it shall be, when he is guilty of any of these matters, that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. And then 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Isaiah chapter 1 verses 16 to 18. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And Acts Chapter 26, verses 19 and 20. And that reads, 
Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Genuine repentance is always accomplished by confession of specific sins. The Holy Spirit does not give us vague feelings of guilt. He convicts us of our definite shortcomings. Writing in Steps to Christ, Ellen White, on page 38, true confession is always of a specific character and acknowledges particular sins. They may be of such a nature as to be brought before God only. They may be wrongs that should be confessed to individuals who have suffered injury through them, or they may be of a public character and should then be as publicly confessed. But all confession should be definite and to the point acknowledging the very sins of which you are guilty. The purpose of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is to reveal our need of the saving grace of Christ. Repentance does not make God love us more. Rather, it enables us to appreciate his love more. Confession does not earn God's forgiveness. It instead enables us to receive his forgiveness. God does not love us more when we repent or love us less when we fail to. His love for us is constant. The only variable is our response to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The truth is that our hearts are hindered from receiving the abundant blessings that God has for us, while our spiritual arteries are clogged with the sludge of sin. Sin deadens us to the Spirit's prompting and makes it harder for us to respond to Him. Repentance and confession open the clogged channels of our spiritual hearts so that we may receive the overflowing of the Holy Spirit's presence and power. And so, to finish today, however much we long for forgiveness when we confess and repent, we must remember that this is a two-way street. That is, how do we respond to those who have treated us wrongly and who ask for forgiveness? Who, though totally undeserving of our forgiveness, do we need to forgive anyway? And why is it so important for us to forgive? Wednesday, August 7, True and False Repentance Contrasted There are some very specific examples in the Bible of people who sought repentance but were not forgiven by God. They wept. They were sorrowful. They confessed their sin but were not forgiven. Read the accounts of Pharaoh, Balaam, Esau and Judas in Exodus 12, Numbers 22, Hebrews 12, and Matthew 27. Let's begin with Exodus chapter 12, verses 29 to 32. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. 
Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And Numbers chapter 22, verses 32 to 35. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me, and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have killed you by now, and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way before me. Now therefore, if it pleases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. And Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. And Matthew chapter 27 and verse 4, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Question. What common thread do you see running through each story in regard to repentance and or confession? One phrase in Hebrews 12.17 sums it up well. Speaking of Esau, the passage says that when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he repented. Like Pharaoh, Balaam and Judas, Esau's heart was not broken over the pain that his sin had brought to his family or to the heart of God. His concern was over the birthright he had lost. He was sorry that he had not received that which he believed to be rightfully his. His motives were not pure. His sorrow was for himself. False repentance focuses upon the consequences of sin as opposed to the sin itself. The law of sowing and reaping is a divine law. It is true that sin brings dire consequences. But repentance is not consumed with the negative results of sin. It is concerned instead with the dishonour and sorrow that our sin has brought to God. True repentance is always characterised by at least three things. First, a sorrow that our sin has broken God's heart. We are hurt because we hurt the one who loves us so much. Second, there is an honest confession of the specific sin that we have committed. True repentance is not laced with excuses for our behaviour. It does not place blame on someone else. It takes responsibility for our actions. Third, true repentance always includes the decision to turn away from our sin. There can be no genuine repentance unless there is a corresponding reformation in the life. False repentance, on the other hand, is self-centred. It is concerned with the consequences of our sin. It is an emotional state of sorrow because our sins often bring negative consequences. It makes excuses and lays the blame on someone else. It is unconcerned about the changing of behaviour unless the change will personally bring its own reward. 
Thursday, August 8. Confession's Healing Power Confession lances the boil of guilt and allows the poisonous pus of sin to drain. Confession is healing in many ways. It opens our hearts to receive God's grace. Through confession, we accept the forgiveness that Christ freely offers us from the cross. Confession is healing because it allows us to receive grace. Confession also breaks down barriers between us and other people. It heals relationships. Question. Read Psalm 32 verses 1 to 8. What does this teach us about confession and repentance? Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you, in a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Another question. Acts 24, verse 16. The Apostle Paul strove for a conscience void of offence toward God and toward men. What does that mean? Let's read the whole verse. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offence toward God and men. Is guilt good or bad? It all depends. If the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, and the guilt of that sin drives us to Jesus, guilt is good. If we have already confessed our sin and continue to feel guilty, the guilt may become destructive. Ellen White writing in Manuscript Releases, Volume 9, page 305, This feeling of guiltiness must be laid at the foot of the cross of Calvary. The sense of sinfulness has poisoned the springs of life and of true happiness. Now Jesus said, Lay it all on me. I will take your sins. I will give you peace. Banish no longer your self-respect, for I have bought you with the price of my own blood. You are mine. Your weakened will I will strengthen. Your remorse for sin I will remove. The answer to guilt is Jesus. His grace abolishes the destructive guilt sin lays upon us. There are times we may have confessed our sins and we still feel guilty. Why? One reason might be that the devil is attempting to rob us of the assurance of salvation. He loves to steal away the blessed assurance of forgiveness and salvation that we have in Jesus. Second, the Holy Spirit may be pointing out something that exists between us and another individual. If we have hurt another individual, our troubled conscience will be eased when we confess our wrong to the person whom we have hurt. And so to finish today, how has guilt impacted your relationship with the Lord and with others? What can you do to help alleviate the burden of guilt that you carry?
even if you have done wrong and the guilt is in the sense justified, what promises can you claim from the Bible to help you to move on? Friday, August 9 From the book Steps to Christ, page 39 Confession will not be acceptable to God without sincere repentance and reformation. There must be decided changes in the life. Everything offensive to God must be put away. This will be the result of genuine sorrow for sin. The work that we have to do on our part is plainly set before us. Isaiah one sixteen and 17 Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. If the wicked restore the pledge, give again that he had robbed, walk in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Ezekiel 33:15, And that brings us to our five discussion questions for this week. 1. What crucial lesson about forgiveness can we learn from Jesus' willingness to forgive those who nailed him to the cross? If he was willing to do that, how much more so should we be willing to forgive those who have hurt us? 2. In your own experience, how has confession of sin been a blessing to you? In what ways has it helped you in your relationship, not only with the Lord, but with others? 3. Though we read this week about the need at times to confess to other people whom we have wronged, why must we always be very careful in what we say to others? 4. True repentance, we have read, includes a putting away of sin. What happens, however, if we, struggling with that sin, fall into it again. Does that mean our repentance wasn't sincere? Does it mean we cannot be forgiven for it again? If this were true, what hope would any of us have? How are we to understand the nature of biblical repentance while always keeping in mind the reality of our sinful natures? And five, from what we have studied this week, why is repentance a vital component in the whole issue of revival and reformation? How do the terms revival and reformation contain within themselves the idea that we do need to repent? And now it's time for Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled, The Newspaper Ad. Alexei scanned the classified ads of his local newspaper in Siberia, Russia. He wanted to be sure that his ad for home improvements was attractive and his prices competitive. His eyes fell on the religious section of classified ads. The ads were offered to tell people's fortunes or read their palms. So many ads for Satan, and not one for Christ, Alexei thought. 
He grabbed a paper and scribbled the words, I will tell you about Christ, and he added his telephone number. The next day he placed the ad in the paper. His phone began ringing. Most callers had their own advertisements in the paper and wanted to know what Alexei would tell people about Christ. Some wanted to argue theology. Alexei wondered whether his advertisement would reach anyone who was searching for God. The phone rang again, and Alexei offered a cheerful, Hello! I want to know about Christ, a weathered voice said. The men spoke for several minutes, then the caller invited Alexei to visit him. An elderly man answered Alexei's knock. The two men talked several minutes, and then the older man said, I'm old, and I'm not well. I want to know about God while I have time. Alexei opened his Bible and read several verses about God. Then they watched an evangelistic video. For ten days the two studied God's Word together. Alexei's new friend is eager to learn more. Normally Alexei doesn't answer his phone on Sabbath because most calls are about work, but recently he received several calls from the same person on Sabbath. Maybe it's an emergency, Alexei thought. He answered the phone. Are you a Christian? a young man asked. Alexei answered his question. I'm Vitaly, the caller said. I just got out of prison, and I need to talk to you. The two met, and Vitaly told Alexei that while he was in prison, a Seventh-day Adventist woman had sent him the great controversy. He had read it and wanted to know more about God. Then he found Alexei's newspaper advertisement. Vitaly now attends the Seventh-day Adventist Church and is eager to know God personally. I know that Alexei's advertisement was God calling me, Vitaly says. Alexei now knows that God called him to place this ad in the paper. People are searching for spiritual insight. I want to introduce them to Jesus. God uses simple things to draw people to him. Our prayers and our mission offerings strengthen God's work around the world. Our own ministry strengthens God's work at home. What ministry has God given you? This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful. Faithful.